Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. Wow, sex ed at Miss Beadle's institution is not going well. Hi, and welcome to Gen X This Is Why, where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared childhood. My name is Amy, and I'm a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. And I'm her sister, Jenny, born in 1974. Today, we're going to be looking at Little House on the Prairie, episode 14, The Lord is My Shepherd. Many of us refer to this as the Charles Jr. or the Mountaintop episode. Or the er Ernest Borgnine episode. I can't say his name, so get ready for that. (laughs) When this ran in syndication, I believe it may have been split up into two episodes. But we are doing it as one, as it appears on Amazon. And so this episode might be a little bit longer, because it was an hour and a half. The description reads, The Ingalls family is delighted by the birth of a new baby boy, Charles Frederick Ingalls. But Laura is jealous and refuses to pray for his good health. When tragedy strikes, as it inevitably does, she is overcome with guilt and receives insight from an unlikely friend named Jonathan. Jonathan is played by Ernest Borgnine. (laughs) Her friend helps deal with her feelings and makes her a special wooden cross. While she is washing at the creek, the cross falls off and floats downstream, helping Pod to determine where she is. Can we get something out of the way? Okay. Oh my God, he looks so hot in this episode. No. No. <laughs> oh, when he as soon as he got on the off, as soon as he got on the horse, I was like, I don't even want to have this conversation. When before. he has the scruff and he's crying, I wrote. Several times, I would give this man 18 babies, and I hate babies. Ew. So, this is a thing for me. Oh my God. God. Okay. All right. Wow. We get the deprogramming is going to be difficult. (laughs) I had to get that out of the way because it's going to be underlying all of my material today. Great. Okay. We open on Charles coming into the house and demanding that Caroline feed him. I'm hungry, woman. Feed me. Yeah, what was that? I don't know. That that reoccurs. He tells her he's going to build a cabinet for some woman in town, Mrs. Johnson. And I wonder if it's Johnny Johnson's mother. Maybe. Caroline tells him he's not good at making furniture. And I'm thinking, you sleep in a bed that he beautifully carved. No, no, no. He said he never made hand-carved furniture before. And I was like, who made the freaking bed? Mm Mm-hmm. Did they buy the bed? That was probably expensive. Or maybe he just meant like, oh, no, because if he never, no, yeah, they had to have bought it. hand-carved furniture. He asks Caroline why she's been eating so little, and she reveals that she's pregnant. Too long of a shot on Charles' face as they are working it out. Well, he wasn't picking up what she was throwing down. No. Even though she was all weird about it, like hinting about it. And I wrote... And this is, I wrote this in several different places. He acts like he didn't just have a baby three years ago. Is Carrie three? No, she's not. She's gotta be, right? So Laura is two, is two years younger than Mary and Carrie is three years younger than Laura. So Carrie's Carrie's gotta be like five. Yeah. I don't know how old these kids are. I mean, that's historically. Historically. Yeah, right? She has the reading level of like a six-month-old. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Okay, later that night, Charles is so excited that he's up drawing in the middle of the night and wakes Caroline up, again with the inconsiderate sleeping. I mean, these people are busy, and they are just inspired. Why don't you just leave that alone? <laughs> I guess. He tells her he's trying to figure out where they can get some extra room for the baby. He also slips and uses the pronoun him, and Caroline calls him out on it. Upstairs, the girls are also restless in their loft. Laura is awake and wondering if Mary is happy about the baby. Mary tells her to shut the fuck up and go to sleep. <laughs> Laura asks Mary if she wants a girl or boy, and Mary says, only God knows the gender. She doesn't say that verbatim, I'm paraphrasing, but only God knows the gender. Laura God says she hopes God wants a girl. God in a future technology called ultrasound. Then we have another close-up of the bird's nest from the beginning. Ugh. And I'm going to take this one moment to talk about how much I hate birds and how filthy they are and how disgusting they are. Okay, and so this I, episode is I, ripe with them. I also hate birds, but I actually hate birds. I think you're more afraid of them. Because when we were kids... Don't you hate things that you're afraid of? <laughs> no. Okay. I would admit if I was afraid of them. I'm not. Like, I'm afraid oh, of spiders. I'm not admitting. I'm afraid of birds. But I also loathe them because they try to attack me all the time. So Amy's afraid of birds because when we were kids, we were in a pet store and there was a macaw. Is that what it's called? Macaw. A macaw. You never forget your attacker. It was a macaw. It was like six feet tall. It was on the outside of his cage. And Amy had those little socks on, like those little booty socks that had the little ball at the back of them that hung off of your sneaker. I was in the bird. The bird saw this. You had to be like, I don't know, six maybe. I think around that age. Mm -hmm. And the bird saw it and like just immediately dove at it and attacked it. And like grabbed, viciously, grabbed her socks, and I started laughing. But the best Amy, part was my big dramatic reaction. Oh my gosh, she screamed like screamed a stranger was pulling her out of the store. Mm-hmm. Like I think everyone was looking at my father. Like, are you kidnapping this kid? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I would say it was a very appropriate reaction, given the bird was almost the same size as me. <laughs> so then she was afraid of birds and then we went oh, we would go to the shore and we'd be on the boardwalk me and my father would be making bird flapping wing sounds behind like coming up behind her and then in a delicious taste of irony jenny while making fun of me got shit on by a seagull i did, you did. i deserved that you did you deserved it um <laughs> i'm afraid of birds and all things that can fly because i can't overpower them they have the power of flight, and I can't compete with that. You can't overpower a fly? <laughs> no, I can't fucking catch it. Okay. Time has passed, and we see Caroline starting to show. She's still doing some chores on the homestead, and we see Charles in the barn. He's already made the cupboard. Now, I watched this with my husband, Timmy, oh, carpenter. I paused, and I asked him what he thought of the cupboard, and he said, it's okay, but are those satanic etchings in the <laughs> doors because we could not understand what the hell that was it wasn't floral floral i, I don't know what it was but anyway he's made the the thing and now he whips out a cradle that he made and it's huge and caroline's like oh you know you made that cradle bigger than any baby i could deliver and i'm thinking to myself again these people have had three children yeah, they're acting like they've never done this before. Where's the cradle from Carrie? Did that I don't not think... fit in the wagon or did it pop out I into mean, the river? Did they drag that along three states with them? I don't think so. They're not dragging along birth control, so you might as well drag along the cradle. <laughs> there was no birth control. Save yourself really. some time. So she knows. Why does he why does he need a son? He has Jack. <laughs> She notices, Caroline notices that he's using male pronouns again, and then oh. Caroline starts using them, and, uh, you know, there's just this cute back and forth about, it's going to be a boy, it's going to be a girl, whatever. There's no, but there's no gender fluidity here, let's be clear. Like, this oh, is- Oh, yeah, it is. This is very black and white, Oof, as, as everything Black and white. You are male or female, or, period. Or pink and blue. Yep. I guess pink and blue would be the right phrase. At dinner that night, Mary asks Caroline if babies come out in a big egg and you have to crack it open. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Sex ed at Miss Beadle's institution is not going well. 
What the hell? What does that look like? Laura, who's risen to the top now, the intellectual ladder, says she knows how her pony was born and that's how the baby will be born. And then Mary snaps back, well, I'm just telling you what Susie uh, Appletree told me. I mean, I was very shocked at Mary because it's like, don't you think you would have seen these eggs at some point in life somewhere? (laughs) Where are these eggs? I loved it so much because Mary has built up so much momentum being smart. And then with this one comment, she goes to the back of the line. (laughs) It it happens. It's going to happen once in a while. Laura tells Pa that she played a game with the boys at school today and she won and she even beat Johnny Johnson, who we know from the former episode in which we covered him. He's about 35 years old and six feet tall. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Laura is trying to, I wrote, Laura is trying to convince Pa that she's just as good as a boy. We have another time jump and Caroline is now almost ready to give birth. Mary and Laura must go to town into Olson's mercantile because Caroline can't make the trip anymore. She sees the girls off and and then gets this goofy smile on her face yeah. because she had a labor pain. What's that? She seems to love being pregnant. I mean, I liked being pregnant. I didn't like the end result of it. <laughs> so Charles is finishing up his breakfast. And as he gets up to leave, she asks him to invite Grace, Mr. Edward's girlfriend. What's her last name? The widow. Schneider. Schneider. To bring Grace Snyder to the farm. And Charles walks outside and then ooh, stop and obviously realize that maybe the baby's on the way. He pokes his head back in and says, would you like her here for a social call or uh, is it time? And Caroline's like, it's time, loser. I, I don't know how more much more obvious I can make this for you. I don't know. But she's totally not direct at all. She could have said, it's time. Tell Grace to come out. Instead, she's like, can you see if Grace can stop? Like, there, there's no direct conversations around this pregnancy. Around, Like, what the hell? Later that night, Caroline's in bed, panting and giving birth. For some reason, Grace is delivering this baby. Like, she... I think she's like a midwife. She, like, they, left her a job at the post office to come down and deliver a baby. There's a lot of midwifery in those days. So, it sounds like she... <laughs> I think that's a word. I don't... She uh, was like... Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a word. Well, I mean, it is the Mary is dumb episode now. So she did um, reference get like being at the birth of a lot of kids in Walnut Grove. So I think she's a midwife. Charles is apprehensive about Grace delivering the baby. And she says she's delivered the children in Walnut Grove. Like he's going to do it instead. Paul goes upstairs to talk to Mary and Laura and Carrie who are waiting anxiously. And they ask if it hurts to have a baby. And Paul says, yes. Finally, he acknowledges a woman's struggle. No, but Ma said it's a joyous hurt. Yep. How did you feel about that, Aim? I don't know. I was unconscious when I gave birth <laughs> to my right. children. So that's right. Who knows? Um, uh, it I was, feel like it's not a joyous hurt. It was joyous when I had the morphine drip the next day. <laughs> okay. Mary says she's never going to have a baby, and Laura says she's not either. They're both going to stay with Pa. And suddenly they hear a smack and a baby crying. And it's a boy. And Caroline has named him Charles Ingalls Jr. And Charles is like, I love you, baby. And she's like, I love you too. I've like, why do they care so much? I guess they want somebody to work on the farm. I don't, it's not like they have a kingdom to like provide an heir for here. I don't. They're just so enamored that they had a boy. Well, like, I was thinking insane. like they probably feel like they need boys to help them around the farm. Although Laura is doing double time trying to prove that that's not true. Laura, the feminist hero we all need. I know. So the next day at Olsen's Mercantile, Laura is carrying heavy shit to prove she's as good as a boy. Nels is asking Charles, when when will he see his son? And Charles says, oh, Charles Jr. is getting baptized this Sunday. And apparently there's been a bunch of town gossip. And Nell says, Grace Snyder says she'll never forget the look on your face when she told you it was a boy. All right in front of Laura. Oh, my God. And like, this was just so drilled into everyone. Well, I'm like, like, they probably heard it son, from Hanson. Yeah. Right? Well, well, of course they did. That's where everybody hears everything. <laughs> but it's just like it's making Laura feel like less than. And like, yep. this is the experience of so many girls through history. Like, it's just, it's so ridiculous. The next day, we see the baptism, and afterwards, everybody's having a picnic in the schoolyard. Random people are coming up to Charles and congratulating him, because he did all the work. Of course. 
Harriet and Nels come over to Caroline. <laughs> and Harriet asks Caroline, oh, is it four or five now? And Caroline says four. And Harriet says, uh, I suppose that's the way of country folk. It's kind of like being a broodmare. Wow. Mrs. Olson says, I'm happy with just my two or something. No, what she, she, says, she says, well, I know that Willie and Nellie are enough. And Caroline goes, considering Willie and Nellie, yeah, I'd say they're enough. No, she says, in the case of Nellie and Willie, I couldn't agree more. Oh, right, 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 right. Yep. <laughs> oh, yep. Great singer. They're good. So we also learn in this scene that Mr. Edwards is now fully coupled with Grace and that he is the godfather. How the hell did we go from he Charles is. sticking his face in a river as when he's like stupid, black, blackout super drunk to being a godfather? And how did we go from I don't believe in God to I'm your godfather? I know. Here's a side note. I'm somebody's godmother. Wow. Yeah. There's a baseball game going on and Pa wants to stay and hang out with a baby and not play with Laura. And like you just see the whole strata or the whole storyline developing that Pa has dropped Laura like a hot potato. The next day at the house, Caroline is concerned that Charles Jr. is not gaining weight. And I want to say here real quick, Michael Landon directed and wrote this episode. And it is very obvious because (laughs) everything is so heavy handed, including the following foreshadowing. Doc Baker is there and tells Caroline not to worry. Like he practically guarantees her that the baby's fine. And she's like, are you sure? Are you sure? I guarantee it. He's fine. People worry over nothing. Just because you don't have a fat baby, you're worried. Let's put him on regular milk. Then he says something about Miss Arnold. (laughs) That he has to go see that. I I I have so many notes about Doc Baker leaving and I don't know why. It was just a very strange thing. He says, Miss Arnold wants like the cough syrup from the city. Like she's clearly a junkie. Like no HIPAA compliance in these days. I have the same. He implies Miss Arnold is a drug addict. And then Carolyn gives him six eggs that are all double yolks. And I was stunned and fascinated by this. I'm like, how the hell do you know if an egg is a double oak? So I made an index card. Oh, Jesus Christ. So sometimes my index cards are going to be very important stuff. And sometimes they're going to be about dumb shit like double yolked eggs. I just thought it was interesting. I, I I didn't know how you knew. So I looked it up. Those of and you listening, different- please just just stick around. It'll be worth it in the end. One site says you just get a baseline of all the eggs your chickens are laying so that you know like generally what they weigh. And then if one's heavier, it almost always has a double yolk. Or you could do something called candling, which I thought candling meant something really different. But <laughs> this is what they say. You get a little box. You put a light bulb in it, a 100-watt bulb in it. You put a little hole slightly smaller than the egg at the top you put the egg in and when you look at it you can see how many yolks are in it i don't know if that's true if anyone does it i'd be interested to know um and the chance guess what the chances of getting a double yolk are uh one percent one percent okay yeah no that's not right it's more like point zero zero one percent it's one in a thousand and she got six she got six so yeah, she must be doing something crazy with those <laughs> those chickens. But one one hen will lay an egg a day, and they had a whole pile of them. So they're laying a lot of eggs there. You can also get an egg with no yolk, feels like an omen, or you can get a triple yoker or more. Okay, those of you who are still with us, <laughs> there's a quick scene later that day when Caroline is getting the bottle ready for the baby, and she's boiling the milk and explaining to Mary how to prepare the bottle. And Mary asks how we know there's germs in the milk. And Charles tells her you need a microscope to see germs. And of course, Mary says she would love to see a germ. Of course. Of course. Mary calls the baby Freddy. And Caroline corrects her. And and Mary tells Caroline Mr. Edwards calls the baby Freddy. Caroline says Mr. Edwards uses a few names he shouldn't. Laura comes downstairs and she wants to show Charles something she did for school. I think it's writing. He starts to look at it, but Caroline yells at him to come and look how fast the baby's drinking the milk. They all go in and make a big fuss of the baby, and Laura looks like she wants to burn the house to the ground. Then she goes outside and angrily litters. The book was so cute, though. It's like Laura's first book, and she ripped it up and threw it in a river, and it has like Walnut Grove on the cover. I see, you know, writers are always getting the accolades they deserve, I guess. 
Later that night, the girls are praying. And Mary asks God for a special blessing for Charles Jr. But Laura chooses not to. Mary's offended and freaks out on her. Laura tells Mary, Pa cares enough for all of us. Laura tells Mary, she asked God for a sister and God ignored her. So now she doesn't care. Mary threatens to tell Charles and Laura says, go ahead. He won't listen anyway. He's too busy playing with my brother. Go ahead. Tell him. And Mary rolls over and goes to sleep. I love how there's all this double dog daring telling (laughs) and then they just angrily go to sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. The next day, very heavy-handed scene. The lighting is darker. The music is ominous. We see a doctor's bag on the table. Total scene shift. Total mood shift. The scene is grim, as Doc Baker tells the Ingles something is wrong with the baby. He doesn't know what's wrong, just that the baby is weakening. He tells the Ingles they should take the baby to Mankato, where they have more sophisticated medicine and machinery. He says, as a country doctor, sometimes he feels so useless. Caroline starts to freak out and Charles manhandles her. So this was, I thought this was a sad scene. I thought a lot of this was sad. Yeah, this was a sad scene. And then they're getting ready to go to Mankato. I have, th- I wrote down, this is Laura's fault for not praying. Wow. <laughs> wow. Just say the thing out loud. <laughs> the family goes to Mankato and Grace is going to stay with the children. I, I guess Grace is now a nanny as well. Well, she's just an adult watching the kids. What? Like she's just hanging there watching the kids and they're they're getting the wagon ready for Mankato. Why is Pa always shuffling around bags of seed? I had like a question time- about that. Why are we putting a bag of seed in the wagon? They're just he's just always throwing around bags of seed. Why are they bringing the bag of seed to Mankato? I maybe figure since he's making a run, he might as well Might as well do what? Up. Is he returning <laughs> it? They're in a crisis. I have no idea. We see Mankato, and it's a dark, dark room. And I wrote it kind of looks like Gotham City, but we're looking at a microscope in a dark office. So basically, they're saying we have sophisticated machinery here. The doctor in Mankato tells them the baby has a red blood cell count that's dropping, and it's hopeless. They know what the problem is, but they don't know how to fix it. Jenny, do you any ideas on what this is? It has to be some kind of anemia, like the baby's anemic in some way. So... And also, I, I did look up, I don't have an index card, but um, I found this site called ourworldindata.org, which look oh out for this, God. people, because it's going to be a lot. Eight, 38% of kids died before the age of five in 1880. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, like, infant mortality was a common, common thing. But that explains Very a lot, because I'll talk about mm-hmm. this later. Like, they handled this well. Oh, my God. And I suspect, you know, they've... They've either lost other children or lost pregnancies because that's like a high rate of of infant mortality in general. And then I can't even imagine like, you know, stillbirths and things like that. But in 2017, it's down to 3.9%. So you could see Mm. how dramatically different that is. And it's just a world they're used to dealing with, which I thought was smart in the way they wrote it. Because this would be devastating to someone today, I feel like. Like, Are you calling Michael Landon smart? Are you saying oh he's a good writer? I'm just, I thought it was well written that they weren't so overly emotional because they're used to this. Like it would, yeah. they didn't play it like somebody today. Like how would you have reacted? Oh to my this? God. I'd be like oh in bed God. for six weeks. Six months. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So Charles then asks, will the baby feel the pain? And the doctor says, no, he'll just go to sleep. And I wrote, oh my God, this is so intense. Like it was such a sad scene. Yeah, it really was. Caroline is staring out the window and the doctor calls Charles into the room behind her. Then Charles comes back out and tells Caroline the baby has died. She says, has he gone to sleep? And he says, yes. And then he hugs Caroline and they're both sobbing and he's praying. Well, and Caroline did that weird thing where she looked out the window and was like, "Where? why is everybody in such a, like she did this whole deflection thing mm-hmm. where she's like looking outside going, why is everybody in such a hurry? Like, Totally in another world, kind of. And that's when Charles went in the room. But she was like a rock about it. So I'm going to speak to Caroline's state of mind here. I feel like she was doing the, like, you know how when you're going through a crisis and you observe that the rest of the people around you are just living their everyday life? Yeah. Like, I feel like it was that kind of thing. Like, where's everybody going? Like, why, why are they taking... Why are they in a hurry and taking everything for granted? Like it was that kind of thing. Yeah, I get that. 
it was just, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Well, then I wrote, can you imagine your parents take your baby brother to Mankato for medical treatment and they come home without him? Like they couldn't call these kids or grace and and prepare them in any way. Like they just show up without the baby. That was so crazy. Uh, They come home and Grace and the girls come outside and you just see it on their faces and she's not holding the baby. He's gone. And the girls run to her and start crying, except Laura doesn't. She hangs back a little bit and then she takes off. One thing I'm observing about kids, because, you know, I don't have kids. The only kids I really have in my life are your kids. You can observe my kids for two weeks. I do observe them. No. I'll send them out. Um, But one thing I'm realizing through this, looking at it as an adult, is like, it is never as it seems with kids. Like, the, you know, you would think Laura's just upset about the baby dying. No, Laura thinks it's her fault. Like, you would never think that that is what is going on here. But that's what's going on. I know. Like It's, it's always so much more complicated. And then I will give Jack some props here. Oh. Laura runs off and Jack shows up and comforts her. And a side note I have here that my dog was going bananas <laughs> and I am actually going to put, I videotaped it and I'm going to throw it in our Facebook group, our Facebook page, the video of Nellie, my dog, just going berserk at another dog on the screen because I don't feel like you guys fully understand it's crazy what I'm dealing with there. So when this episode airs, I'll throw that up on the Facebook page and our Instagram. Okay, the next day they're at church and Reverend Alden says, there's no use in asking for forgiveness if you're going to continue sinning until next Sunday and just ask for forgiveness again. Uh, okay. Whatever. Oh my God. (laughs) He says, if you're truly sorry, God will work with you and can make anything happen. Anything happen. Anything happen. Anything happen. (laughs) And we have a close up of Laura's face. She's taking, she's got all like she a vandalistic on this. She's taking it literally. And he even says, <laughs> and I do mean anything. Yeah. This seems to resonate with Laura. She goes back in the church after mass and asks Reverend Alden for some advice. She wants to know how she can procure a miracle from God. Reverend, And she's like, what can God do? And he's, I'm like, tread carefully, Reverend Alden. She's eight. <laughs> like this can go anywhere. Yeah, pretty much. As we see. Mm-hmm. Reverend Alden tells her, The closer you are to God, the more likely he is to listen. Afterwards, Laura goes outside and everybody's having a picnic again in the churchyard. She asks Charles to play with her. And he's like, what are we going to play? And she's like, every game we ever played in our lives. It's going to be the best day ever. You should never set your expectations that high. And I feel like parents be suspicious of this behavior (laughs) like wouldn't you if your girls came home and they were super happy and like let's play every game we've ever played like you'd be like what's going on yeah yeah later that night laura writes a letter to pa telling him she did a bad thing but she's gonna set it right and she sneaks off in the middle of the night my kids (laughs) will not even sleep with their window shade up two inches (laughs) because they're so terrified of the outside world at night and she wrote a dear Pa letter. Yeah, and she just takes off in the middle of the night. Yep. And and guess guess who doesn't give any warning to the family? He does, though. No, he doesn't. Does he wake up, Carolyn and Charles, like barking like Laura just left the house? Nope. No, and I wrote, um, Charles, despite sleeping only 20 feet from the front door, doesn't hear it open and close. No, which I feel like a parent would. I would hear that, that shit though. immediately. The next morning, Charles and carrie are staring at caroline to wake her up that was so weird i just want to get this straight right now don't ever do that to me don't ever sit there and stare at me to wake up i will kill you she says oh i had a dream it was sunday aka my day off right aka i my day off from what caroline doesn't have a day off and she says or paul says that was a dream. This is a nightmare. It's Monday and I'm starving. Oh, God. And he smiles. Twinkle, twinkle. Apparently, he can't fix himself any kind of food. Apparently, he can build a house and a barn, but can't scramble an egg. Mm-hmm. Caroline finds the letter that Laura wrote. Laura had uh, tucked it up on the mantle behind the porcelain doll. So they're all talking about it. And Pa and Caroline question Mary. And Mary breaks within two seconds. Oh! No, she doesn't. No, she yes, doesn't. She does. They had a badger yes, it out of her. No. Because this is hard for Mary because she's not a natural narc like Laura. You call that badgering? 
Have you ever seen Homeland? Laura would have volunteered. Laura would have been running into their room with a letter in her hand, like Mary's gone. Come on. Oh, well. They had to pull it out of Mary. Yeah, okay. So Mary cracks like the egg that Charles Jr. arrived in. Well, Mary starts crying because she is internalizing all of this because as the lead sibling, she let all this shit fall apart. (laughs) You're right. Uh, We agree. It is all Mary's fault. She let all this shit Mm -hmm. fall apart. Charles, the super dad he is, is like, I'm going to go out and find her. Don't worry about this shit. I'm on it. And he heads out. Charles goes to town to get Mr. Edwards to help him. And I'm like, Mr. Edwards is a good friend. Yeah, he he is. He is ride or die. Like, he will (laughs) do anything Charles asks him to. And that's a good friend. Yep. So we also see at the same time a cutaway to Laura approaching a random mountain. The highest peak in the Walnut Grove area, I guess. Charles and Mr. Edwards saddle up their horses getting ready to go out to look for Laura. Charles tells Edwards he blames himself, and Edwards tells him, hey, don't blame yourself, dude. What's done is done. It's all right. And I'm thinking... I'm thinking... <laughs> Thank God Edwards not a parent. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Laura, this is the last fucking thing Charles needs right now. Like, they are still grieving their son. I know. Mm-hmm. And Edwards has a look like, I'll go check that saloon in Mankato. <laughs> Cut to Laura climbing the mountain. She has her hair down. And I want to say something about the hair down. We all know I love oh, when I Caroline theory. has her hair down. I think this is a practical thing, though. I think she doesn't know how to braid her hair. I think it's a mood change. It, I think she doesn't know how to braid her own hair. You know how when reality stars dye their hair platinum blonde, it's crisis hair? I nope. think crisis hair in in this time period is it's down and it's unruly. So I think I have crisis hair right now because my bangs grew out during the during the pandemic and they're like pulled over to the side with a barrette. I'm wearing a fucking barrette. That is the state of things. I always have crisis hair. I'm 45 hair. and I have a barrette in my hair. I always have crisis hair, so it's fine. Okay, so I have no... What the fuck? Laura is climbing this mountain in boots with leather soles. Like she is like sheer face climbing. Oh, yeah. Laura tells God when she gets to the top that she wants to be with him. And he can send Charles Jr. back to be with Pa. And I wrote, oh my God, this is heartbreaking. Because she thinks she was responsible for Charles Jr.'s death. And I'm like, it's not like she held a pillow over his head. Like you did to me. That did Several happen. times. Okay, Laura tells God she's going to wait right here on this mountaintop. And then she lies down in the blazing sun and goes to sleep. Like all getting all human sacrifice here. Mm-hmm. Like take me. There's a uh, lot of that. Between last episode that we covered, which was the award with Mary, like, you know, doing this self-punishment and now Laura. I mean, these kids are just, wow. It's all fallen on the sword. Yeah. Yeah. It's the next day and Laura is now cooking on the mountaintop. And and (laughs) I don't mean cooking like she's cooking eggs. I mean, she's baking in the sun on the mountaintop, literally lying there. And Ernest Borgnine wakes her up. Which... Holy creepy. Mm-hmm. I was totally creeped. Like watching this now as an adult, I was completely creeped out by this. It's kind of like when you first hear 17 by Winger for the first time as an adult. Ooh. You're like, this is not okay. Not good. It feels a little creepy. Yep. His name is Jonathan and this is his mountain. Jonathan offers Laura some food and tells her that he talks to God. I mean, I'll, I'll admit I had an IMDB Ernest Borgnine because although I know his name, like I'm like I don't know what he's really famous for, and I feel like right. people will be like, "What the hell? What you is don't he know. famous like, for?" Well, it's like when I said I never saw whatever happened to Baby Jane, and like my friends lost their shit. Oh my god, that's like, a great movie. Ex- they couldn't accept that I never saw that's it, a so great like I was forced movie. to watch it. And it is a great movie. And they had like, like a real life rivalry, the two of them. Yes, yeah. yes, Betty Davis, and Joan Crawford, John Crawford. Crawford, right. So I looked up Ernest Borgnine, and the thing he won an award for, an Oscar for, is a, a movie called Marty from like the fifties, which I don't. I think he was just a guest star on everything, he like through like the eighties. Character 80s. actors. He was on Gattaca, which I love that movie, and he was also in a movie called Real Men Don't Eat Gummy Bears in nineteen eighty nine. Okay, yeah. Well, his if you ever get his that question, name in this in episode trivia. is Jonathan. It's his mountain. 
He makes Laura some food, tells her he talks to God, and then he makes her a little wooden cross with her name on it. Like, they're becoming fast friends. I mean, she did not get the lesson from Mom and Pa to not talk to strangers or accept food from Stranger strangers. Stranger danger. Meanwhile, Pa and Edwards continue to look and are worried. And I wrote that, you know, Mr. Edwards has given up. Like, he's running a homestead, too, I assume, somewhere. And he's working, and it's not like you could take vacation time at this point. So later in the episode, Laura is gone for three days, we learn. So Mr. Edwards is just driving around on his horse, riding around on his horse for three days to help Charles find Laura. That's a friend. Yeah, that's a friend. That is a friend. Mm-hmm. He's a good friend. Jonathan tells Laura a bunch of factual things, like God takes a nap. And when folks in heaven yeah. miss earth, they start crying. And that's what rain is. And it fills the river. Okay. So that was um, yep. Heaven's Tears, which is a $6 bottle of rosé from Costco. I just love it then. Mm-hmm. You would love it because it's probably sweet. I suddenly realized yeah. what Elizabeth Smart went through. Like I suddenly empathize with her <laughs> because it's like Laura's being brainwashed by a psychopath. She totally is. He's totally a psychopath. Yeah. So Laura asks Jonathan if he's ever cried when they're having the Heaven's Tears conversation. And Jonathan stares off into the distance and says, many times, child, many times. And I wrote, tortured past, tortured past. (laughs) Yeah. And then he's like, come on, I want to take you into the woods. So then then Laura begins taking a bath in front of him. Which I have a question I have about many questions. intimate garments <laughs> in this time. Like I, I, I can't research everything, mm. so I just have a maybe. Yeah, maybe I just this. know is it. That... I don't have to research it. I'll just know it. Go ahead. <laughs> is that dress like it's her? her un- is that considered like your? Is that her undergarment? Yes. Like, would that be the equivalent of like underwear today? Yes. Or a slip. Well, I think it would be like she mm. probably has underwear under it. But not a yeah, T-shirt. That's what I'm so that's like the top, and then she has the underwear. She's taken a bath there. It was so. Well, then creepy. there's a super uncomfortable moment. Okay, Jonathan wants to see behind her ears. Yeah, and ew. tells her she's not clean enough. I'm like, meanwhile, he's a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a super uncomfortable moment where Laura he tells her they're not clean enough she starts scrubbing behind your ears and he wrote and I wrote this down verbatim that's it rub them that's it rub them girl rub them rub them till they come off wow wow that is some writing Michael Landon I am totally creeped out and also, Ernest is wearing, uh, is he wearing a moss coat? What is on his coat? It looks like it's made of moss. It's gross. But I will tell you, so I was weird. so disturbed by the scene that as I was driving to the grocery store this morning, I was relaying it to mom. And mom, who, <laughs> oh, Jenny, God. how much money would you bet that mom has never seen a porn? Seen porn. Uh, I would a lot, probably bet my lot. life savings, right? Mom goes, that sounds yeah. like a porno. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so your mom had a conversation about Little House that led into por- a porn conversation. Hold on, I need to text my therapist. <laughs> so because Laura is rubbing so intensely, her cross comes off her neck. And lands in the river and quickly floats away. And she's devastated. I lost my cross that you just made me. And Ernest Borgnine, Jonathan, says, don't worry, I'll make you another one. Like, not a big deal. It's my fault. I should have uh, tied the string tighter. Or made it from heavier yeah, string. Yeah, it was bad. Then Jonathan sees a trash pigeon. <laughs> it's, I think it's a, po- it's a pigeon. But I think it's supposed to Pigeons be a Pigeons are trash. So I'm just going to say trash bird. Okay, so we're introduced to a trash bird who has a broken wing. And Jonathan wants Laura to nurse it back to health. And he pretty much says, like, this will make up, this good deed will make up for the cross that you just lost. I'm, I'm, you're losing me here, Michael Landon. Tighten up this narrative. The pigeon is a great actor because it's not moving. And I'm assuming they didn't break its wings, right? It's It's just sitting there. I was really surprised. Back at the house, Charles and Edwards 
stop like they're, they're stopped at the house to refuel and everything else and getting ready to go back out. Carrie opens her garbage mouth and asks where Laura is. Oh my God. This Charles was so says bad. he doesn't know. And Carrie says, is he with my brother? Oh, thanks. Caroline Carrie, that runs helps. into the bedroom and starts crying. And I wrote nice going Carrie. But did you see what Carolyn did in the bedroom? Like she did this whole, like get my shit together. Like, <gasps> I know. I know. <laughs> Like it was, Unbelievable it was that these people are dealing with this bullshit after they just lost their infant son. Hmm. I agree. Back on the mountain, Laura confides in Jonathan. And Jonathan tells Laura that God will forgive her if she does good things to make things right, like taking care of the trash bird. Laura says she better go talk to God right now and starts walking off. And as she does, she turns around and tells Jonathan that aside from Jack and Mr. Edwards, he is her best friend. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's a short list. She is me. She would get sucked right into a cult. She would be a Branch Davidian quicker than anything I know. (laughs) Like two minutes after meeting David Crush, she'd be sitting in that church listening to him play drums. Or no, he played guitar. All right, buddy. All right, Patty (laughs) He also kind of says something, and I forget exactly what he says because I don't pay as much attention as you do. But he talks about like people being evil and depraved, basically. I like, that. Every, like no one's instead of no one being perfect, it was like oh, deeper yeah, than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like everyone's kind of evil and depraved. I mean, he didn't say those words, but he yeah, because Laura was saying like she's evil and not deserving of God's forgiveness. Like some and he people, was kind of saying like it's not that black and white. And like some people would pick up that bird and nurse it back to health. Or not nurse it back to health. And I'm like, some people pick up that bird, nurse it back to health, and then go eat different ones for dinner. But that's Or some people problem. would walk on by that trash bird. They'd walk mm-hmm. on by. Right. The next day, we have a scene with Charles and Mr. Edwards, and Charles starts crying. Like, sobbing. Well, they're talking about... First of all, they're talking about crossing a damn I river know. again. I know. Charles is growing a little bit of scruff. This was the scruff Well, he starts crying... Time. He starts crying and Edwards is paralyzed at the sight of emotional display. (laughs) You're not responding to my scruff comment. I'm ignoring it. He is absolutely paralyzed at the sight of emotion. He really is. (laughs) It's kind of hilarious. And and Charles is like, I'm going to go fill the canteens. (laughs) Like sobbing. This is not their best month. This is not their best month. Charles goes to fill the canteens and as he's filling them, guess what comes washing down the river? Um, Laura's, Laura's cross. cross and he's like Edwards I know where she is like he is super excited back back at yeah. the mountain Laura decides she's not high <laughs> enough and that she needs to go to the big woods where the snow never melts back on the mountain it's starting to look like a scene from Survivor <laughs> like they have, they have like they have like the palm huts and like like, did you yep, watch that yep, show, yep. Survivor? So Laura essentially is saying she's going to run away to the big woods. And Jonathan says, before you go, let's try something else. Let's light this shit on fire. And I'm like, Laura's going to get totally triggered. Like, fire again. Havoc has fire wreaked mm-hmm. in her life over the last mm-hmm. couple episodes. So they, they start a fire and uh, cut to Charles and Mr. Edwards. And wherever they are, they see the smoke. Of course they do, because it's like Burning Man up there now. (laughs) Like, go do some Molly and talk to God, Laura. (laughs) Laura is praying, and Charles climbs the mountain. She sees him, and she starts to run away from him, which is not the response that most women have when they see Charles Ingalls climbing towards you with scruff and all sweaty. No, Paul. No. Um, Jonathan stops her. He tells her this is God's will, that he sent her paw, and that's the answer. She's meant to be with paw. Charles comes up on them and hugs hugs Laura and realizes he is finally reunited with his favorite daughter. I was sobbing through this reuniting scene. Wait, what? It was very sad. Wait, and Edwards, what? I, all right. My eyes are oh, watery. Well, that that's is the equivalent of sobbing for you. <laughs> And Edwards again paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional scene. And then she turns around and says, Here's Jonathan now who has the imaginary yep. friend. Yep. Because of course Jonathan has disappeared because Michael Landon, director and writer, wants us to think that he was God's messenger. 
And I feel like Charles and Edwards are kind of like, either there was an angel here, a pedophile, pedophile, or Laura has a mental illness. I wrote Charles and Edwards exchange a glance that says, was my daughter with some creepo? Yeah, angel, pedophile, Mm -hmm. or mental illness. Like, it's one of those And Edwards has a look on his face like, what the fuck is happening? End of episode. And And the music is ridiculous. Well, they just used the same track as they did in the episode of the award where Caroline and Mary reunite. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, just, it's, it's crazy. It's so much. I had a, I had a, like, I was running to shut it off. I couldn't. This episode wait. was real heavy on gender construct. Uh, yeah. And it never dealt with it either. I feel like, like it never got to the point where it's like, they told Laura that she's just as good as a boy or that Charles likes his daughters just as much as he, they never deal with that. Never. So at the end of every episode, Jenny and I will look back on some of the themes from the episode and see if, or how they affected us into adulthood. Did we carry them with us? And if so, what damage did they do? We call it our why. So Jenny, what is your why for this episode? So this is why I thought running away was a good way to make your point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> Laura Laura made yep. her point. Like, so let's paid talk attention. about the so, time Jenny ran away. Well, I mean, we talked about this in the Very last briefly. episode, I think. Jenny yeah. called me from a payphone in a donut shop in a neighboring town to tell me she was running away and never coming home again, hangs up the phone. And somebody, Jenny, I can't remember who, ratted you out to me. It was probably Jen. But I immediately called mom and dad who were out at a restaurant eating. And that in those days before cell phones, you used to call your parents at the bar. So mom and dad were out at a restaurant, like probably having a couple drinks, chillaxing. No, dad was dad was playing that night. Okay. Dad was supposed to okay. play in a band that night. So I call them. The bartender gets them on the phone. I'm like, Jenny just called. She's running away to marry her boyfriend. <laughs> That's first of all, I never said that, and that mm, wasn't happening. Mm, I feel like that was happening. I I was definitely not going to get so married. Flash forward to me knowing where the stone shop is, and in the front seat of the car, as my dad drives white knuckled, fuming, probably drunk, to the donut shop to pick Jenny up. We get there, and my dad walks in, and Jenny's sitting at the table with what could only be described as Half of Striper, the band. (laughs) They were not glam rock. They were a Metallica cover band. So they were definitely not wearing makeup. And my father's like, come on, you're coming with us. And Jenny's like, no, I'm not. And Jenny weighs 75 pounds at this point. So my dad just picks (laughs) her up, throws her right over his shoulder. And I'm like, holy (laughs) shit. No, you missed the best part. When my boyfriend at the time all these guys were like six feet i mean they were like super skinny tall guys but like he goes to stand up and my dad just looked at him and he just sat back down <laughs> and my father's only like what five eight five nine he was I'm, terrified I'm of him, generous though. to dad there uh-huh. being very generous. so i'm standing there doing the the typical sibling like holy shit how's this gonna play out immediately doing not being helpful no, doing at all the chess moves yeah. in my head how do i make this work for my okay. to my advantage and dad <laughs> takes jenny outside and tells me open the door and i open the door and he throws her in the back seat and gets in the car locks the doors and takes off and there's he wouldn't even let me drive my they're own car screen- home. I had to leave they're my car screaming there. at each other the entire way home like having one of these conversations like not like Jenny, what's wrong? Tell me. It's Jenny. What are you doing? What are you doing? And Jenny's like, ah! like it was crazy. And I got home and I'm like, <laughs> look at my halo. Look at me, perfect child. <laughs> so that was that was you. And what did it solve, Jen? It did solve. Actually, it did solve. I feel like me and dad have reached a point where I was like 16 or 17 at that point. Like, and he was just being too tough on me, like, and too restrictive. And I feel like it reached ahead. And then like, we had a better relationship after that. It took a little while, but I think that was the point where our relationship started to shift and become better. So it did work. After that epic grounding that I was on. I'm going to go back and put a, a, 
some kind of disclaimer like dad trigger warning dad trigger warning (laughs) (laughs) yeah because yeah that was not a good night for dad or you or you you thought that you know it worked and you brought that from laura you got that from laura yeah laura told me to run away to make my point my why is this is why i always thought dad wanted us on and i did the exact same kind of things that laura did I huh. always because I always felt bad that dad did not have a son because our dad was so into sports. And we were all we were all played right. sports. I did that because I was, you know, trying to show that I could hang like that. <laughs> oh, is that why you were yeah. doing it? Yeah. I didn't like sports. <laughs> I don't think that mom and dad did this intentionally, not as heavy handed as Charles and Caroline at least. <laughs> But I think that, you know, they did reference several times that dad would have loved a son. But you know that I would not have accepted a brother. Yeah, you willed me into existence. Yeah. I did mm-hmm. because I was not having a brother. It was yeah, not going to happen. I don't know what would have happened. picked out my name and Graham always told me that you never picked out a boy's name because you said you're having, I'm having a sister. Yeah, and mom said she didn't know what she was going to do if she had a boy. Like, it would have been bad. It would have been like me and Kato. They just would have come home without me. (laughs) (laughs) The boy would have to live in another house. And nothing against boys. I I was three years old. I don't know what I was thinking, but I just wanted a sister. And wasn't that the best decision you ever made? To will me into existence. (laughs) Fast forward a year, I'm trying to kill you. All right, so why don't we tell everybody what we're doing next? So we're doing number 16, Family Quarrel, it's called. This is focus, This has a focus on the Olsons. So the Mr. and Mrs. Olson get in a huge argument and decide to separate. Wow. So we want to focus on the Olsons a little bit because we think that we haven't spent we enough haven't time spent on them. We haven't spent any time on the Olsons. Yeah, there's and a lot there. you know there. what? I, I mean, we'll talk about it more when we do the Olson episode, but... I never realized how just accepting we were of Nellie's trolling. Like, it was just a thing. She's so bad. Oh, my God. She's horrible. Okay. um, So that does it for this episode, and we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. Amy here. Thank you so much for listening to our little pod. We really appreciate it. You can find Gen X, This Is Why, on most podcast apps. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving a five-star review. Reviews help listeners find us. And please consider sharing our pod with a friend. As you can hear, Jenny needs all the help she can get paying those therapy bills. You can follow and interact with Jenny and me on Facebook and Instagram at GenXThisIsWhy. Letter X, spell out the word Y. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.